Morning, First Family. Isn't it good to be in the house of the Lord today? Well, let's start with some good news. Have you noticed there's some traffic moving outside our door here? Apparently, some of the street is open again. The signals are working, and I, some of you didn't believe that was ever going to happen again. But it's happening just the same, and we praise the Lord for it. That's good news to start today. Now, let me tell you some bad news. So this week, I went to see my dad, spent a couple of days with him. It was a lot of fun, joyous time, but something happened there. We were out driving, and I saw this bus parked by the side of the road. It was on fire. It was incredible. You guys should have seen it. It was a bus filled with children and puppies. I ran up and pushed the bus back onto its feet so it would be standing up so the children and puppies could escape and injured my back. If you believe that, any but the last line, then we need to talk after this service is over. I'd love to tell you how I hurt my back, but I don't know. If I'm a little gimpy today, and if I borrow this stool in a moment, you'll understand why. Uh, it's caused me some, uh, some, some grief this week, and so I'd be grateful for your prayers for, uh, for a quick recovery. Uh, the Lord will take care of this. This too shall pass. I bring you greetings from our friend Dr. Jim Dennison as well. He was, I was in Dallas actually when uh, that happened, and uh, Jim came to help me and took time out of his day and out of his schedule. So uh, he sent me to bring greetings to you on his behalf. Now, let's get down to why you came today. This is the last in our Passion for Purity talk, and it's a passion for marital purity. Now, as we begin, if you spouses wish to slide just a little bit apart so there's no elbow room, there's enough to make it where it's more difficult to get you, then this is the time you should do that. But when we talk about purity, we would be remiss to leave out our homes. Our homes are the first institution that God formed. And in Ephesians chapter 5, one of my favorite books and one of, I think, the Apostle Paul's most important works, he writes to us about our, how our marriages and our homes and our lives, one of the most practical parts is chapter 5, about our marriages. Now, a lot has been said and will be said about marriages, but today we're not going to say all of that. We're going to say what the Word of God has to say to it. And then, for those of you who are exceptionally brave, then I'm going to invite you to take a practical step at the end of our talk today. Let's start with Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 21. If you'd like to stand with me, you are welcome to do so. Submit, therefore, to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own body. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we're members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. 
However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Let's pray together. Today, Lord Jesus, we receive this instruction about what our marriages should look like. We know, Lord, this is an awfully high bar. We might say it's difficult to achieve that. I'll even say it's impossible without you. We know, Lord Jesus, that in your goodness, you have put us together and as a family of Christians, but also as families. So today, Father, I pray your blessings of wisdom over each of our homes and that you would use this day to strengthen them. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I, I, every time I do a talk on on marriages, I feel necessary to start with a marriage that I knew back at one of the first churches I pastored. It was a church in Frankston, Texas, and there was a couple in the church, tough and heavy. Uh, heavy weighed about 105 pounds. Tough was uh, a lady. Um, and I asked, uh, I asked Heavy one day, they'd been married 81 years at that point. I asked Heavy, how is it then that you have been married so long? Now, Heavy's uh, hearing wasn't so great. And so he turned to me and he said, Darren, I can't hear very well. Now, he meant for me to repeat the question. But I waved him off and I said, I think you just answered it right there. <laughs> you just solved that riddle for me. They were married 83 years when Heavy passed away and tough just about six months behind him. Let me tell you, friends, that kind of marriage doesn't happen accidentally. It is something that happens only because we choose for it to. They were faithful to Christ and faithful to one another for all of the days of their lives. How do you get there? I want to tell you about one other couple, Frank and Evelyn. They were a part of the church I was with in Jacksonville. They'd been married almost 60 years when I came to be their pastor. They would sneak in the back door and sit in the back of the auditorium whispering like teenagers. And when they would leave, they would be holding hands. <laughs> I said, Frank, when I grow up, if I get that far, then I sure hope my marriage looks like yours. Evelyn passed away a couple of years ago, and the Christmas card that Frank sent to me this year, it was filled with talk about her. How do you get there? You start the same place the Apostle Paul did. See it in verse 21. And if you're one who underlines in your Bible, then would you just kindly do that? Verse 21 is worth your attention. Submit, therefore, to one another out of reverence for Christ. If there is a silver bullet in marriage, one that will solve all problems and bring resolution to a lot of the issues in our homes, this is it. Let me say it another way, and this is what you have on your note sheet. Mutual submission to Christ sets the stage for a pure marriage. If both individuals are only interested in trying to protect their rights, if they've bought into the notion that 
a marriage is 50-50, in other words, both are only required to give half, then this will never come to pass. Finding the best version of ourselves starts with submitting all of myself to Christ, not half. Finding the best version of myself means recognizing that I don't have to be someone's doormat to submit to Christ. But if I'm ever going to be who Jesus wants me to be and have the kind of home that he wants me to have, then it must begin here. This does not mean abdicating selfhood. It doesn't mean forsaking all of my dreams in, 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 in hopes that somebody else will define me. But it does mean recognizing I was made for more than just my happiness, my purposes, my pleasures, and my entertainment. I was made for more than an accumulation of wealth and goods. I was made for more than just the opportunities that I can find on my own. So how do I get there? Here is where we start. The lordship of Christ means I am not the center of my own world. Oh, Darren, that stabs me right in the heart. Yeah, it should. That's why the Apostle Paul begins right here. Submitting to Christ means that I must submit to him first with a surrender of selfishness. Let me be clear with you, friends. I had no idea how selfish I was until I got married. Have you ever noticed that? Maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe you guys are more mature than me and wiser. And, uh, but I had no idea just how much I liked my way until I had someone else in the house who liked their way too. Now, that's not an indictment on my wife. Those of you who know my wife know I married way over my head. That's not hard. But it's a reality just the same. I also learned that I'm really fickle. What I wanted a minute ago isn't what I want now. And what I want now probably won't be what I want in an hour. When I then come to this place where I want to submit to her, then I must do so by beginning by submitting to Christ. It means that I have to lay aside my selfishness because nobody else can do it for me. It means that I'll eventually bow my knee to Christ. So says Philippians chapter 2, the next book, if you'd like to turn over there. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. I get to choose when I do that or it will be chosen for me. Why not choose now? to submit to Christ and surrender my selfishness. It means that my desires, my tastes, and my preferences are not the only ones I need to be interested in. For most of us as humans, this is where we are naturally and normally. But if I'm to be transformed, and that's what Paul calls me to in Romans 12, if I'm to be transformed into the concept Jesus spoke of in Matthew 19, where the two become one flesh, it must begin with me surrendering some of myself. Now, there are some things that you can't surrender. The DNA that God made you with and the, the, the ways that he's fashioned you and formed you. But there are many ways that we can be transformed and indeed 
we must start there. I must surrender these preferences that I have to Christ if I'm ever to find room to be one with my wife. It's not easy, friends, and there are a lot of pitfalls along the way. We'll talk about dealing with those in a moment. One of the chief things, though, that I hear and see often isn't about submitting to Christ. It's the rest of the passage that gives people trouble. Let us begin clearly. Authority is not the most powerful element. A mutual commitment to Christ is. A lot of people want to hold on to that authority, and I don't want to surrender that. Authority isn't the coin of the realm. It's not the pass key into every aspect. It's not the trump card that we play when we're down to our last strike. When we use a domineering approach to get our way, we may win the battle but lose the war. Christ is not calling us to authority. He's calling us to submission to one another. He calls us then to unity under his banner. It's not something that can be gained by force. True commitment to Christ must come by committing to Christ together. That's why the Apostle Paul commands believers to only marry other believers. There's been more than one couple who has come to see me. Darren, we'd like to get married. And my first question is almost always the same. Tell me about your spiritual walk. If there is reflected a disparity, believer, unbeliever, my answer is always the same. I'm sorry. But according to the word of the Lord, I cannot join what God has declared not to. Now, you might say, that's very judgmental of you, Darren. You see, I've told you before, but I'll say it again here. I'm in distribution, not management. The management has already spoken. My job is not to inform God where he's wrong. My job is simply to carry out the instruction he's given. And one of the reasons he gave it is exactly this verse right here. How can two submit to Christ if one of them isn't willing to from the beginning? It won't work. Now, a brief word for a moment before we move on. If you're in a marriage where things are not even spiritually, if you're in a marriage that is one believer and one not believer, then the Apostle Paul has instruction for you too. As long as your partner is in that realm and happy to keep you, then stay. Perhaps the mercy of Christ will be revealed to them. Most memorable story of a moment like that comes from the Dallas Cowboys, believe it or not. Bob Lilly, the great cowboy great, formerly known as Mr. Cowboy, was not a believer. His wife got saved as a result of a Billy Graham crusade. She came home and the change was palatable. He could see it in her day by day. 
It didn't take long for Bob to say, I need what she has. She submitted to Christ on her own and led her husband to the Lord. Friends, this indeed can happen, even in your home. Now let's move to the part that gets people's dander up. Submission and sacrifice, two sides of the same coin. Anytime you hear this passage preached, then you'll hear conversation about verse 22. And it's usually where uh, emails or cards or calls will come. Darren, this is a old, old methodology of wives being required to submit to their husbands. And with the idea that wives then for are supposed to just lay down and become doormats. Ladies, I want you to count verses with me for just a moment. Instructions to the wives, verses 22, 23, and 24. Instructions to the husbands, verses 25 to 33. Instructions to the wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Instructions to the husbands, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. There is a role for both to play, and it is a powerful and significant one, one that is needed, one that is powerful, and one that must happen for you to find the kind of purity in your home that I think Jesus wants you to have. And both are necessary. So how do you get there? You turn your key. You remember in the movies about how they had to launch nuclear weapons and how there were two keys to do it and how if only one key was turned, the thing wouldn't fire, right? But if both keys got turned, then things happen. I submit to you that it's that way in your home as well. If one of you chooses submission and the other one does not, it will turn into a domineering situation in a hurry. But if both of you, two servants living under the same roof, both submitting to Christ and to one another, then you will find something by turning your key that you can't find from where you are. Husbands and wives, as different as we are, we can use our differences to glorify Christ and benefit one another and benefit ourselves Submission isn't about the order of authority, but rather the operation of that authority. Consider this with me. While verse 22 says, submit to your own husband's wives, the real burden falls on the second part in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives. There have been a few husbands brave enough to come to me and tell me, Darren, my wife is not submitting to me. They weren't present. Let's be clear about that. My question then is back to them. Have you loved your wife as Christ loved the church? Well, I'll do it when she earns it. Well, now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. You can't expect her to do what God's called her to do if you're not willing to do what God's called you to do. It doesn't work that way. The operation of authority needs both. I want to tell you, friends, when we try to apply this rule without taking it as a whole, we do damage to the word of God and one another. How does one have this power? It is granted 
You can take it from someone. See Luke 22 for that. There was an argument among the disciples about power. Who was to have it and how they could get it. Jesus turns the whole thing on its head and he says this, the least of you shall be the greatest. So you want to be the master of your home? Start by submitting to Christ and then love your wife as Christ loved the church. Well, how did he love the church, Darren? Well, let's talk about it. Selflessly, sacrificially, unconditionally. Oh, I don't think I can get there, Darren. You don't know my wife. Well, for some, maybe that's true. But I'll say this. Jesus doesn't ask you to go alone. How do you start? Well, let's just go back to this for a moment. Remember why you started together. If you do, submission gets much easier. Do you remember dating this one that you were married to, how amazing it was that this person, this amazing, beautiful, handsome person wanted to spend time with you. You were willing to go through anything to have a chance to be with them. Some of you drove long distances to be together, even for a short visit. Some of you endured long separations and high phone bills. Remember when that was a thing? And still others of you had... Had, had to work through some things, but now, remember, say it another way, you submitted yourselves to those things in order to be together. Why stop now? It's like we get to this line in the road and we say, well, I've gone far enough. It's the old yarn about a man whose wife loved him, but he never told her, and when the pastor asked why, he said, well, I told her I loved her when I married her, and I guess that'll, that'll stay that way until I tell her otherwise. Maybe our wives need a little more than that. Maybe husbands do too. That brings us to the next thing, what it means to love like God meant for us to. In Visionary Marriage, a book written by Robbie, uh, Rob and Amy Renau, the authors talk about using 1 Corinthians 13, the so-called love chapter. Rob is writing, and he rewrote it for his wife. Let me read it for you to give you an example of what I'm talking about to remember what God loves us like. When it comes to Amy, I'll be patient. When it comes to Amy, I'll be kind. When it comes to Amy, I won't envy her. I won't boast around her. I'll not be arrogant around her. I'm not rude to her. I don't try to get what I want, and I'm not going to be easily angered. I don't keep a scoreboard of wrongs she has done against me, and I don't delight when bad things happen to her. Instead, I will rejoice when good things happen to her. I'll always protect, always trust, always hope in her, and I will never tire of doing these things. When you make it personal that way, it's a reminder of what it means to love like God loves us. Let's move on swiftly. Remember that each of you are on a mission to build the other toward Christ. If your marriage needs a motto, a theme statement, then let it be this. My job is to build them toward Christ. That's what Ephesians 5 speaks of in the last part of the chapter. 
we are building one another toward Christian maturity. I said I would return to the theme of forgiveness, and here we are. Remember, I'm sorry is so powerful. The power of a humble apology. There's some real power behind the humility that's necessary to say, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me and let me try again? We may think that we're surrendering the power that we have. When all the while, what we're really doing is holding ourselves prisoner when we refuse. The image that I want you to carry away from that is meekness. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, blessed are the meek. And we hear that and think of someone that has no strength. To do so, though, is to turn the word Jesus chose upside down. No, it doesn't mean somebody who is powerless. It means someone who has enormous strength, but it's control. Consider driving a car like the one I saw this week, a thousand horsepower vehicle. A thousand horsepower at your command. All you need to do is mash the accelerator pedal to let all 1,000 horses loose. But you know better, because speed can kill. Uncontrolled speed, you therefore hold back and don't use all of its strength. Or like a horse, a bridle in the horse's mouth turns him wherever he goes. He has more than enough strength to fight against it, but he chooses not to. Friends, this is an example of meekness in action. And remember, that kind of meekness is the stuff that marriages are made from. Let's end with this. Discover the real purpose of marriage. The real purpose of marriage is to reveal God. Maybe you thought it was companionship. Maybe you thought it was procreation. Those are byproducts. Verse 32 in this chapter. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Our marriages are intended to be an analogy of the passion Christ has for his church. That's why there's no marriage in heaven. We don't need it anymore. So if I'm going to do this, then there are at least three things that I must do. One, I've got to stop asking my spouse to do only what Jesus can do. The real purpose of your marriage is not self-fulfillment. No one can complete you, no matter what the movies say. That role has been filled by Christ himself already. Friends, ask your wife, your husband, to do only what God has commanded them to do. Secondly, seek Christ first in your home. If I was to give you just one thing to take home with you today, this is it. Seek Christ first in your home. Billy Graham said the true test of a Christian is the way they live at home. Yeah, I would concur with that. It's not easy to walk the walk with people who know. But friends, I want to encourage you today. This is where it starts. The third and final element, serve Christ together. Those who serve Christ together can find their homes stronger 
than they ever dared dream. There is power in serving Christ side by side. Now, at the beginning, I mentioned that I had a step that was only for the brave. I want to invite you to a process. Our take it home is only for the brave. Couples checkup. There is a tool that I use in premarital counseling and in counseling with couples who come to ask for my help. It is a wonderful and glorious tool, and it's this one. If you're brave, then write down couplescheckup.com. That will take you to a website that is led by a ministry called Prepare Enrich. It is a family-focused, Christian-centered marriage place. This is what you'll see when you get there. If you want to pay for it yourself, then just go to the website. The cost of it is $35. If that burden is too much for you, then email me at info at fbcmidland.org and I will be more than happy to help with that. Because the idea behind it is to strengthen your home, to make your marriage stronger. Okay, so what am I getting into, Darren? My, my staff told me not to tell you, but I'm going to tell you anyway, all right? It's a 400-question test, all right? You might say, oh, gosh, I wish I had done that. Uh, it's not as bad as it sounds. It takes about 45 minutes. Because the questions are simply, yes, I agree with that. No, I don't agree with that. But what it's doing when you and your spouse are doing it, independently, I might add, they're comparing you against one another. And it's breaking it down into nine areas. Nine areas that will explore your marriage. Well, we'll pull these things out because the questions are completely random. You don't know which question belongs with which, which area. But the nine areas will be returned to you with a report. A report that only you see if you go to it yourself. If you have me pay for it with you, then that, couple, that, that report comes to me too. I'll destroy it at your request. But what I do with premarital couples is we sit down and we walk through this. What we're looking for is the areas where we agree a lot. The bar graph will be really high. But we're also looking for the areas where we don't, where the bar graph is really low. Where it's really high, we celebrate. We high-five and congratulate ourselves on finding somebody so wise to think like us. Where we don't have as much agreement, those are areas that we walk off into and we say, how can we fix this? What does this look like? How can we unpack this? There are exercises that are associated with those, and they give you the opportunity to grow. One of the real challenges I see in marriages today is the idea that we can operate in independent orbits, husband and wife, and then only come together when it's necessary. We just operate as two different entities who happen to live at the same address. I want to suggest to you today, friends, that's not good enough. This tool is something that Julie and I have used many times. And I'll warn you, it will tell you the truth. I'll warn you, 
there will be some work to be done after it. That way you can't say, well, Darren, if you told me that, I wouldn't have done it. But I'll also warn you that if you want to wind up like tough and heavy, Frank and Evelyn, still there's work to be done. I want to encourage you to go back to where we started. Have you submitted to Christ already? Maybe you're here today and you're single and you're saying, where's my part in this? Well, here's what you can do, single person. Start by submitting to Christ now. Tell him your wishes, your desires, and trust him to do it. If you're already married, then let me ask you, are you submitting to your husband as to the Lord? Husbands, are you serving your wife the way Christ served the church? Are you turning your key? I know these are heavy things, so we're going to give you an opportunity to come down and be prayed for today. I've asked my friend John David to take my place today, so he'll come in just a moment and do so, since navigating steps is a bit of a challenge for me right now. But friends, I wanna tell you today, this is the day God has given us to get our homes back on track. Won't happen accidentally. My prayer is that you'll do that today. Let's pray together. Jesus, we are better for the marriages that we have. We are better for the love that you have shown us. We are better for the work that you've done in our lives and we thank you, Jesus, for showing us such mercy. I pray for each marriage that hears this today. And I pray, God, that you would do your work in their lives. I pray for those who need to come forward today, either to this altar together to pray, or maybe to John David or one of the other staff standing out here. This day is the day you've given us, Jesus, to say yes to you. So do your work now, Lord Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.